Okay, it's time for the fifth and final entry into the five-part series where I talk about the colors of magic and my thoughts on them and do a little philosophizing. I guess that's what I've been doing. I don't really know what to call it. Today, the last of the five colors will be talked about, and that color is green. Today is the 29th of January. It is a Tuesday, and it's just about 8.30. Once again, reading from Gamepedia, here's green. Green is one of the five colors of mana and magic. It is drawn from the power of forests and embodies the principles of instinct and interdependence. The mana symbol for green is represented by a tree. On the color pie, it is the ally of white and red and the enemy of blue and black. Green seeks acceptance through growth. And continuing, here's the first paragraph within the flavor block section of that same article. Green is the color most in tune with nature. Whereas the other colors seek to modify the world around them, green believes that the best course of action is to simply allow nature to take its course. Thus, green is often seen as the least confrontational of the colors. It does not seek to impose its values on others. It just wants to coexist as peacefully as possible. This does not mean that green will not defend itself when it feels threatened, but it generally that will not seek to impose its opinion on others. Okay. So, if you know much about me, or if you've listened to, eh, I don't know, a dozen of these chats, you might be able to guess with a decent degree of accuracy which parts of green I like and which parts of green I dislike. But instead of making you guess or go and listen to those dozen podcasts, I'll just tell you, the part I like about green is the interdependence part, the part that says everything is connected to everything. The incense sticks that I'm looking at over there on my window shelf are part of this recording device that I'm using to capture my voice and then I will later on use to put onto the internet. The internet is part of me. I am part of the internet. I'm part of that lamp. That lamp is part of me, which is part of the sink, which is part of this hat, which is part of this table. Everything is connected in some way, form, or fashion. Even the things that will never come in contact with each other. Even the, the, the center of a nebula that is 10,000 light years away, maybe, maybe farther, maybe 15 trillion light years. I don't know if there's trillions of light years at this point. Whatever. Many, many, many freaking light years away in some direction, somewhere, in some far reaches of the, the universe, is a planet with some fragments of the crust, whatever that's made of, and those pieces of that crust are connected to me. Everything is connected. And you might say, well, how is that possible? Well, I'm not going to get into that. It just is. It just is. So I like that part of green. What I don't like is the idea of not imposing your will on or your opinion on other people. Now, I don't think that you should go around and just share your opinion willy-nilly. 
that's something that I've done in the past, and it doesn't usually result in a constructive conversation. What you can do in regards to your opinion is wait until somebody asks or wait until you're part of a conversation where somebody might not directly ask. Somebody might somebody doesn't have to directly ask you a question with, if you're in a conversation with them and you're talking about things and having uh, just kind of a, a meandering flow of a, of a conversation that's going all over the place. You might be able to bring something up and share your thoughts on something. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as you're doing it tactfully and within the context of the of the conversation, that's that's totally great. You would be probably you would probably be out of line if you started sharing deeply personal, private information about yourself and practices that you do behind closed doors, whether that's your bowel movement or things that you do with somebody that you're in love with, just being at a dinner table with a work associate going, so last night my wife and I, whoa, wow, uh, I don't need to know all that. That's not what I'm talking about. That's the kind of thing that you definitely don't want to share. You don't want to impose those opinions and those thoughts on somebody else. So when should you impose? What do I disagree with Green about here? When is it good to impose your opinions? Well, I think it's very good to impose your opinions and your thoughts on nature, assuming you're doing it in a way that is mindful of your the, the, the repercussions as far as you can see them. For example, when early explorers and frontiersmen started wiping out the buffalo in the U.S., just killing them for sport, killing them for their hides, just almost eliminating the entire population. That was an imposition of opinion and will on nature that went much too far. That was out of line and unacceptable. I think that the factory, farm, the factory farming methods that are imposed upon animals, which is part of, which are more, everything's a part of nature, but for the sake of this conversation, I'm just going to say that animals and plants are more in line with nature than, say, uh, Apple and Microsoft and guns and gunpowder and those things. They're not really that much different, but the issue that I have with factory farming and keeping animals in these tight, confined cages and why Vera and I try to buy better meat than the stuff like that, why we buy uh, pasture-raised eggs so that the chickens get to roam around and do whatever they want. It's not just cage-free. They're not in a, a little cage. We don't get the regular white Kroger or whatever eggs by the, the dozen that the, the chickens probably had terrible lives. I don't want to support that sort of an industry as long as I can avoid it. <clears throat> and you might say, well, you can always avoid it, Dell. Yeah, you're right. I guess I could. If it was a choice between me going hungry and supporting an industry I dislike, I do have the option to go hungry. But if it's down to that point, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go hungry. I'm not going to sacrifice my well-being and my my ability to make other choices down the road for this one choice right here. You might say, well, everything matters, like you've said. Well, it all does matter. Yes, it does. But 
buying this dozen of eggs here this one time in this moment because the other ones are out of stock and driving across town seems like a bad choice to me. That's more exhaust and air, it's more gas that I have to burn, it's more wear and tear on the car, all just to go and spend more money on a dozen eggs because the the chickens weren't factory farmed. That, that That's the kind of thing I'm talking about here. So back to imposing your will and why I dislike things like factory farming, those are animals are conscious. They're not conscious in the same way that we're conscious. They're conscious in the way that they're conscious. So I'm not saying that they have selfhood and they're aware of their existence and they can foresee the future in their actions. It's a different kind of intelligence and awareness that an animal has. But to say that they're not aware is absurd. They are. Animals feel pain. They suffer. Elephants have been shown to mourn the loss of, of dead relatives. Uh, there is a story I heard on a podcast recently about a group of elephants, a group of elephants that were migrating from one part of the country or one part of a preserve to another part. But then they went on this detour and the people watching them weren't really sure why. The elephants went on this. They went really far out of their way, apparently, not just like a, a, a couple hundred yards, like miles from from what I recall from what I recall, goodness gracious. And these elephants went to the, the site where one of the, I think the, the leader of the pack, the herd's leader or something, his sister had died years ago, years in the, in the past. So those kind of things or seeing the way dogs react when their owners come home or after the owner's been gone for a long time, there's, you've probably seen videos of a soldier coming home and their dog hasn't seen him for a long time. The dog just flips out. They're so happy to see the owner. That says to me that animals have some sort of awareness. Now, again, it's not the same kind of awareness exactly like you or I have. That, and that's not, I'm not trying to argue that. All I'm saying is that causing suffering to another living creature doesn't seem like a real good way to live. It doesn't seem like a very nice way to live. So there is something to be said for imposing your will or your opinion on nature in a way that takes into account what that might do. If you're dumping a bunch of toxins into a river, that's probably not good for the ecosystem that that river helps fuel and, and give sustenance to. It's not good for the animals that feed in that river, that live in that river, the fish and all the insects and the bugs and the algae and all the various creatures and critters and microbes that live in that river and the animals that come to drink from that river and the birds that come to drink in that river and splash around and play. That's dumping a bunch of toxins in there isn't a real good idea for that, for any of them or for you because there's a good chance that you interact with, with those creatures and those critters and maybe even eat those those fish and some of those animals. And do you want those toxins that you're dumping into that river to get into you? I would hope not. And so I would hope that had, would have an impact on your choices, not just because you don't want those things in you, but because you don't want those things in something else. There are proper ways to dispose of dangerous chemicals. But I do think that imposing our opinion and our will on nature can be a very good thing. For example, imagine a plot of land in the middle of, oh, I don't know, let's say Montana. 
and it hasn't been visited by humans in a very long time, like a hundred years. It's a, it's, a, it's a one acre plot of land that no human has set foot on for a hundred years. That plot of land will obviously be undeveloped. There will be nothing going on there. There will be no formation, no buildings, nothing. And that could be fine, but it could also be the site of something truly amazing. For example, when cities, before they were founded and formed and built, say what you want of, of the formation and building of a city, but before they were built and founded and formated, for the formation of them came about, pick a place like Seattle. There's probably indigenous peoples living there, Native Americans, Indians, however you want to refer to them, however they want to be referred to. I don't know. I usually refer to folks that, like Indians, not, I usually refer to Native Americans as Native Americans, not indigenous people or something else. Because if I say Indian, it can be a little bit confusing. Do you mean Native American Indian, like American Indian or India Indian? And I didn't realize there was that distinction for a long time, like when I was a kid. And so when somebody told me like, what do you mean? And they were genuinely confused, like in India, a person from India, Indian, or somebody from Native, from America, Indian. Oh, uh, Native American. So I usually just resort to Native American because that's simple and it's to the point and it's pretty clear. I don't think there's anybody that's going to go, what do you mean by that? You're a Native American. You're born in America. Okay, fair enough. Yes, I, I guess I am a Native American, but that's, that's not, not in the... No, I, I don't have Sioux or, well, I think I have a little Blackfoot in me, like a, a tiny, just a, a drop in, in an ocean. Anyways, this is all aside from the point. The point that I'm trying to get here, trying to get to, is that those cities, before they were formed, there wasn't anything happening there because there was no city there. Now there is. In the example of, of Seattle, there's Microsoft there and the... Uh, North American Nintendo headquarters, there's Amazon, there's all kinds of things happening there. And from those epicenters of industry and technology, all kinds of things are happening. Think of the last time that you did something with Amazon. It was probably within the last year. I'd be surprised if it wasn't within the last year. All kinds of things are happening because of the choices and direction that people have taken in their life, the choices that they've taken and the directions that they've pointed themselves. And that usually comes at some kind of a cost to nature at pretty much all the time, whether it be mining for some sort of mineral or alloy to make a thing or agricultural means because you're farming. Even if you said, well, we should get back to hunter-gatherer ways and our, our paleolithic roots we shouldn't be agriculture is bad do you know how wheat has changed and have you heard about gmos and blah 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 okay okay let's go back to hunter gatherer you're still imposing your opinion on nature there's no way to get away from that if you want to survive for longer than a very short amount of time you're going to have to impose your opinion on nature you just have to by, I'm going to pick these berries. You've just imposed your will upon nature. You have decided that it's better 
for you to pick the berries to eat than it is for those berries to dry up and get crusty and then fall off the the plant or maybe feed a bird or some other critter. You've decided that it's good for you to eat that. And it probably is if you want to live and survive. If you go hunting or you go fishing or you eat a imagine you had a completely vegan diet you're still imposing your will upon nature you're picking the apples you're picking the fruit you're you're churning the ground maybe the ground didn't want to be churned maybe the ground didn't want to be tilled maybe the ground just wanted to be left alone and the rocks just wanted to stay there maybe you cut up some worms while you were doing that did you watch every single place that you put your spade before you dug in the ground maybe the maybe the dirt didn't want to move so you have to impose your will on nature if you want to do anything. If you want to build a house, you have to cut down trees to do that or stack rocks, but maybe the rocks don't want to be stacked. You could take this to the extreme and someone, well, well, you, you could put up an ob objection anywhere. Well, who says the rocks don't want to be stacked up? Who says that they do? My point is that there is a big difference between picking berries and having a bunch of pigs and cows locked up in cages and they can't move. And there is a happy middle ground there. You can grow berries in a greenhouse and pick them. That's, I think, totally fine. You can have animals that are roaming around on a farm and they live a happy, normal, good life where they're not beaten, they're not hurt, they live a happy life and then one day they're killed and they're that their meat and their flesh is harvested and all every viable part of them is turned into something that is is eaten that's why i think hunting when i hear true hunters talk about hunting is such a good thing because no hunter wants well i'll say every hunter that i've ever heard on say joe rogan's podcast or other podcasts do not want to hurt the animal that's the last thing that they want to do they want their kill to be quick and efficient, and they want that animal to be dead as soon as possible. That's why they practice again and again and again and again for hours and hours and hours and years and weeks of their life, especially the bow hunters. It's a lot easier with a gun, but with bow hunters, they want to be able to get those kills as quick and efficiently as possible. You might say, well, if you wanted it as quick and efficiently as possible, why not just use a gun? Why use the bow at all? I think... And I don't know, but speaking for myself, because I've wanted to become a bow hunter, there's something more, even closer to nature about that. It's it's the the distance between you and an animal is it's it's shorter than a rifle because you have to be closer just by nature of the weapon. You can be a hundred yards off with a rifle and just boom, no problem. They're down, just straight through the heart. And you're if you're even halfway competent with a rifle you're going to be able to kill an animal most every single time with those shots. With a bow, there are all kinds of factors that you've got to take into account. Wind is going to affect your shot a heck of a lot more than a bullet. You've got to be closer. You you have to be right there. You have to be extremely present. You have to be very skillful. And I think people, when I hear them talk about it, they like that challenge and they like mastering that skill and they like overcoming those challenges and and kind of being at their their absolute best in the in those times and then harvesting that meat and being thankful that there was that meat and then also making sure that the animals that they're killing aren't ones that are endangered most of the hunters that i know when they talk about it they're going to places where 
the animals are raised and they're on a farm and they're in an area where they are only allowed the hunters are only allowed to kill certain animals once they reach a certain age and the younger ones are left alone and the it, it's all very watched and guarded and, and maintained and and carefully done to to preserve the the ecosystem and and the the environment and the sustainability of those animals i'm throwing around a lot of words there that maybe don't make a whole lot of sense but i think you get my point Crawling a whole bunch of animals to just be shot in the head or abused and have horrible lives and hate their existence the entire time is not a good way to go about things. So the parts that I agree with green, the color green and magic to bring this back to what I originally was talking about and bringing this to, to magic is the parts I like are the interdependence. We are all connected. Everything, every single thing, those buttons on that vest that I'm looking at, the, the, the zipper on that hoodie, the light bulb to the hoodie and the, the vest to the the zipper to the kettlebells to the carpet to the apartment to the snow all of it every single thing to every other thing single thing it's all webbed and connected <sighs> i like that because that's true and that's how things actually are and if you imagine the most complicated spider web imaginable and you pluck one part of it the whole thing's going to move every single thing is going to move now, if you're way over here, a mile to the right, the mile to the left isn't going to move as much as what's right next to where you pluck or where you, you flick the spider web. But it is going to be impacted in some way. The whole butterfly effect. If you kill a butterfly now, it'll have some sort of impact later on down the road. It will. Everything has an impact on everything in some form or fashion. Most of them the vast, vast, vast majority of them in ways that you will never, ever become aware of. But that isn't to mean, or that isn't to say, I should, this is what I meant to say, that isn't to say that you should not be aware of your actions and take them into consent, into account and treat them as though they have the entire weight of the universe on every single one, because they do. But I do not think that you should just let nature do what it wants because that would mean that I just sit here and I do nothing and I just let myself die. And I don't think that that's the best way to go about living either. So with that all said, I will end this, the longest of the Magic the Gathering related podcast here at 23 minutes. <sighs> just remember that everything matters. Every single thing that you do does matter. I love you. And I hope you have a great rest of your day and weekend, whenever that is. And yeah, I'll see you around next time, I guess, or talk to you, whatever. <laughs>